0: What's up, you guys? It's your host, Anna. Welcome to this week's episode on Undereducated. Firstly, full disclosure in this episode, I definitely talked as if I was currently working in the hospital in labor and delivery. As of right now, I am no longer working in labor and delivery. I have stepped back for a minute to take some time with my family. I have a sweet gig from home and I get to do this podcast. So I just want to be totally transparent there. But The conversation I have for you today is one I'm so extremely excited about. I met with Adrienne Brown. She is an incredible midwife here in the Salt Lake Valley, and she talks to us about her journey into midwifery, what it's like as a practicing delivering provider here in Utah, and all about her beautiful birth center, which I would 10 out of 10 recommend to anyone looking to birth in an out of hospital setting. It's absolutely incredible. So I hope you're excited for this. It's amazing. Tune in and let's get a little more educated together. a midwife here in the community in Salt Lake and she is going to tell us a little bit more about what it's like being a midwife and her incredible birth center that she runs called Wasatch Midwifery and Wellness. Go ahead and kind of introduce yourself. I'd love
1: that. (laughs) Yeah hi I'm Adrienne and thanks for having me on. I this is uh, I love podcasts myself and you can listen to them wherever so it's not like you have to sit down and focus you can be driving whatever so I glean a lot of educational information from podcasts um yes I I own and am the primary provider at a birthing center based practice here in Salt Lake um and this is my 20th year in midwifery which is is (laughs)
0: like
1: has has,
0: it felt like 20 years no no (laughs) it has
1: not felt like 20 years uh, it makes me feel old um (laughs) but uh yeah it's been an interesting career to say the least and i think that finally things all aspects of what i've done over the 20 years are really coming together in a in a uh, very good meld as to what i'm doing right now and it's been amazing just to watch the evolution of midwifery practice in the u.s over 20 years um when i Got interested in midwifery. And I didn't really have uh, thinking, oh, I'm going to be a midwife. It was I had my own kids at home, mm-hmm. and you know, I I was I found the book Spiritual Midwifery, which is always still a, a, a cult goat. classic, <laughs> so to speak, and in a, in a hippie bookstore. In Syracuse, New York, where I lived, and uh, I actually bought it for my friend, my best friend, who now has, has been a practicing obstetrician for 20 years. Oh, wow. And, you know, we were we were hippies back in the day. I mean, <laughs> I legitimately lived on a hippie commune. Um, I love it. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of my, you know, all my friends are going off to medical school and becoming, you know, biologists and things. I was... Making you know herbal potions in yeah. my kitchen yeah. <laughs> and raising my kids, yeah. Yeah. Uh, my two oldest. So anyway, it was an interesting route. But anyway, when when I had my first um, in the state I was living, midwifery was actually illegal. Um, wow. Which to this day there are some states in this country where yeah. it's very difficult to find providers who would work outside the hospital. Yes, and I mean we're talking midwives being arrested taken to jail um charged with practicing medicine without a license this was a very confusing time when the profession of you know out of hospital midwifery there were nurse midwives um but even still they were fighting for recognition and that was back in the day when you became a nurse and then got a uh, some sort of certificate to Mm -hmm. be a midwife um so even those choices were few and far between. Uh, but I sort of, you know, through an un- you know underground network of things at a health food store, uh-huh. found the phone number of a midwife and, you know, called her. And, and of course, she wasn't a recognized provider. Yeah. Um, we did have the help of some obstetricians, one uh, man from the Netherlands who was very interesting, um, but anyway, I had my first baby at home, and yeah. and I got you know in the state of New York very politically involved in midwifery. So that was where my my foray into this came because I was I had worked for various political organizing groups, environmental justice groups way back when, uh, you know various you know Ralph Nader <laughs> affiliated groups, yeah. um, and. This was right up my alley. Mm-hmm. Um, we did a lot of political work in the state of New York. Um, the early beginnings of some of the consumer-led midwifery organizations in this country uh, who still exist today. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's incredible. Um, and it wasn't until I had another baby that – um I kind of thought about doing, and I, I was working in women's health and things at this time, mm-hmm. again, from a political standpoint. Okay. So um, not on the
0: medical side. Not on
1: the medical kind side. Of, I didn't know, you know, and then I was a single mother, so I didn't necessarily have the capacity to consider yeah. something as time-consuming and demanding as midwifery, mm-hmm. um, and I was going to college and think putting myself through college and... Of course, studying things like the creative process and Buddhism. Yeah, Yeah, you're like trying to fill every aspect of my life
0: with the tiny time I have. Right,
1: Um, which was an interesting, you know, growth time for me. Yeah. Uh, You know, really I use those aspects uh, every day in my midwifery (laughs) practice, much more than some of the science-based things. Um, Which
0: is what I think makes your practice... Honestly, right. different and yes. beautiful, which yes. I hope we get into as we go. Yeah,
1: um, so that's how I got started, and it, you know, I got a grant somehow. I was living in the state of Vermont, and I thought, you know, it's it's crazy notion for me to be able to go to midwifery school. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I went direct. I'm what you call a direct entry midwife, so I didn't go through a nursing mm-hmm. background. Um, which could have been easier in this sense but um, nonetheless this is what I felt strongly about and I knew and I asked this question to anyone interested in, mid- in midwifery where they're where they see themselves practicing mm-hmm. um, and I having had two children at home I just thought you know I'm I'm working in an out of hospital setting maybe I'll do international work again coming from like a political standpoint
0: Yeah,
1: <clears throat> but um I thought well if I if I can make this all happen and some sort of pie in the sky idea and then curiously everything fell into place
0: (laughs) it was just meant to be
1: (laughs) right um and that was 20 years ago so
0: wild so you were in Vermont Mm -hmm. what brought you all the way to Utah
1: oh I love to ski (laughs) okay the mountains (laughs) right um no Utah's an interesting place I I um you know knew of it was a good place to practice midwifery and mm-hmm. i had connected with um some people here and i never really considered such a move and i was married at the time and we were thinking you know geez maybe we'll make a move yeah. somewhere um and utah seemed like a good place one of my kids was was competing in snowboarding in park city and that's where we we sort of moved first um but, yes, I've been here 11
0: years, so. Wow, amazing. Yeah. So, in the meantime, from when you did your schooling in Vermont, mm-hmm. correct? Or mm-hmm. did well, everything I, kind of I fall went, into place in yeah, Vermont? Yeah, I, um,
1: I went to college in Vermont, but I did midwifery school in El Paso, Texas, oh, which okay. was another interesting. Um, I went to a program that is no longer, but anyway, it was a really wonderful program because I knew as a midwife, that if I was going to be, you know, in a sort of low resource setting, such as birthing centers, home birth, Mm -hmm. that I wanted to never feel helpless. I needed the clinical skills Mm -hmm. to feel um, competent and to, if I was going to go out there and pronounce myself as a midwife, I needed some really solid clinical skills. So I... Mm -hmm. I did my clinical training um, at a place where we did over 800 deliveries a year in a birthing sense. center setting with some incredibly skilled, <clears throat> you know, mentors, mm-hmm. and I was very lucky at the time that the, <clears throat> pop, you know, the ratio of students to patients was very <laughs> low, uh, yeah. they were... so. We worked 24-hour shifts, and I worked kind of 24 on, 24 off, 36 on, oh however many yeah, hours however many off. many babies are coming. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, some months we would do 85, 90 deliveries. So oh I felt that I needed to be so immersed in some situation like that. Um, And that can be very difficult for people to obtain anything remotely like that um, in their training because in your training you might be exposed to managing the labor and deliveries and prenatal course of care of, you know, 50 women Mm -hmm. or something like Mm -hmm. that or, you know, um, 100 people but not hundreds. So it was just a lucky time for me, and like I said, all things –
0: fell into into play play. and I
1: love the desert it was it was an interesting
0: time yeah yeah how incredible and just from like a like a client's perspective say Mm -hmm. I think how beneficial for you to have had that clinical exposure right because I know that that is something especially and we'll talk a little bit about this but there are many different ways to become a midwife right and in Utah the practicing laws are different than other states and we can get into that as well but because of the different ways there are to be a midwife, some have more clinical exposure than others. Right. And so for you to be able to have that background and know right. that I'm not going to be in a birth setting and be like, shiz, I don't know yeah. what I'm going to do right this Yes, second, and you know. I
1: was just talking to someone, uh, one of our up-and-coming midwives who's been working with us for five years, um, and she'll be a wonderful addition to our practice very soon. Um, and I said, you know, early in my exposure to being on the other side of birth, you know, helping and being sort of a fly on the wall in my, you know, 25 years ago, Mm. 26 years ago, um, I was at a, you know, my first birth ever and the woman had a hemorrhage and Mm. we were out, of course, you know, very dramatically in the middle of nowhere in a snowstorm. (laughs) It's always the middle of nowhere in a snowstorm and the woman had a hemorrhage and I remember thinking, wow, I don't know anything. I I would not know what. To, and, of course, the midwife I was with, you know, more or less, uh, you know, did a good job and, and such. But, you know, what I knew to do was to go to her kitchen and make uh, nettle tea and make her some oatmeal with molasses yeah. on it. You know, yeah. I, I and I hated that feeling. And I went home uh, from that birth and I thought, never again will I feel like. Like I don't, and of course I don't know anything because I've never been to school. I've, i mm-hmm. you know, I'm, mm-hmm. but in, immediately I said, if I were ever to do this in any serious capacity, I would never want that feeling ever again. And that sort of evolved over the years of, um, managing, you know, closer to 2000 deliveries and feeling, you know, caring for thousands of people and, you know not feeling helpless and certainly there are limits to what we do as midwives and then you just refer yes and you have a good referral network but Mm -hmm. you know avoiding those situations and that's what keeps midwifery really safe
0: yes and i think um, that's also important like for people who are looking into seeing a midwife as their provider is knowing that like they have their you know like this level of care and if there is an emergency Mm -hmm. like make sure that midwife has a referral system. I'm the other side of it, where I'm a labor and delivery nurse in a hospital. Yes, you are the referral system. I see the transfers that come, and we are so grateful in the moment when, like, that midwife makes the call and says, you know what, like, this would be better, better, like, taken care of in a hospital setting, because... X, Y, Z could happen. You sure. Know?
1: And and that's and all... And your transfers,
0: I like when I was your birth assistant yeah, for yeah, a that's sec, right. <laughs> like I think there was one transfer in all of the births yeah. that I ever even attended. You know, I feel like you yeah. don't have transfers that often because no. you deal with a low-risk population. Right. Generally speaking. Yes. But how incredible to have a network to know that you can say, you know what, like I know you're going to receive right. great care when I pass you here and that's okay. Right. You know.
1: Yeah. And it's not our job as midwives to to do it all and that's the other thing um we can do what we do within the realm of of protocol and policy and what we see in and, and some people aren't going to have um a complication free course mm-hmm. of pregnancy even yeah. you know the more years i practice midwifery um And especially lately when we throw into the mix COVID and limited reproductive choices for pregnancies that aren't safe for people, Mm -hmm. Um, pregnancies that don't result in even a developed baby. Mm -hmm. Um, in you know, I don't think going in early we, we know these things. We just think, like, oh, birth is pretty and wonderful. Yes, of course. <laughs> and isn't that great? <laughs> and I remember years ago, and, and, and interestingly, the, this woman is now a midwife herself, and she mm-hmm. she's a nurse midwife in, in New York. But um, she wanted to have her baby in a hot tub out in the yard. And, wow. you know, it's like, sure, that sounds cool. Yeah. So she had a 10-pound, 5-ounce Baby who ended up having a shoulder dystocia. We're all in the hot tub. I'm in the hot tub at this point, and we've resolved it, and everything's fine. But it's sort of like, wow, um, that seemed like a cool idea. (laughs) Yeah, you're like, but in retrospect, you know, (laughs) whoa, that was a little dicey. Uh, Not, but it it was a beautiful morning, and birds were chirping, and uh, everything was cool, Uh, and we laughed afterward. But uh, yeah, so. Anyway, we've we've come a long way uh, since since then. We we still have really cool experiences.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> let's maybe talk a little bit about um, what it's like practicing as a midwife in Utah, though. Mm-hmm. Can you walk me through? You've, I'm sure you know more about it than I do. Truthfully, just kind of like what the pathway to being a midwife in Utah looks like, right? And how. Like, legally, you are able to, like, run a practice, I guess. Right. what hoops you have to jump through.
1: (laughs) Yes. You know, I would say overall, Utah's a really friendly state for midwifery. Mm. And again, um, thinking about my path, I've come such a long way from consumer of midwifery care, paying, you know, finding an underground midwife who actually got arrested for practicing midwifery, and we were... Um, you know, investigated by the state and things like this. Um, You know, to, um, you know, interesting story. My first son was supposed to be born on an Indian reservation. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Onondaga Nation invited us to deliver there because it's sovereign. And in this time in 1995 in the state of New York, it was, you know, we're talking, you know, people getting arrested. They were not even stopping at the Amish, which was, really curious mm-hmm. um and and new york state just arrested somebody else quite recently who works with the mennonite population there so mm. you know things have changed but mm. so so now to flash forward 20 years or 25 years i should say 26 years um to be able to own and operate a birthing center where I have insurance contracts (laughs) for real though and can order all the labs and practice as an autonomous provider and provide this service for people is, is huge. Um, that's not existing in all States, but it's a, it's a lucky place to be in in a good time. Um, but the other interesting thing about midwifery in Utah is you were the only remaining state to my knowledge, um, where you don't, have to have a license to practice midwifery. Mm-hmm. This is a very interesting concept. I obviously support licensure mm-hmm. and accreditations, and and you know I was always like, hey, if there's some sort of license or accolade or distinction to obtain, I want it, mm-hmm. um, because you know what? This actually makes midwifery safe for the consumer. Um, and I know that people are out there saying, well, what if I have twins and I don't want to have to go to the hospital? Well, okay, I know that there are some providers in the state who have experience with such things, but really giving true informed consent about what the risks are, mm-hmm. you know, et cetera. And I think that um, having the possibility for people to practice without a license, that's fine as long as you disclose to the people who you care for mm-hmm. um, because, again, if you're thinking about hiring a midwife in a in an out-of-hospital setting, um, which I think is a really great idea, uh, but to really ask them the important questions, uh, not only what would you do in this scenario, but how would you do it, and how do I know you, you know, I've just unfortunately heard, you know, stories in my own community of, oh, you know, well, we needed oxygen, but they didn't have it, and they needed this medication, and they didn't have it. Midwifery is very hard, and it's hard to keep up with all of the latest research and keep mm-hmm. your supplies going unless you have a big, bigger volume practice. It's also very expensive. Huh. Um, and I think people try to cut corners, and they just, oh, you know, it'll work out. And this, you know, kind of ruffles my feathers <laughs> a little bit because it, that's – Polar opposite of what I do in my yes, my clinic practice, um, and that's okay. I think there's room for everybody as long as people know, yes, um, and to know that if you know, there's there's a lot of ways to make birth safer than it already is. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so I'll leave it at that. Yes, and i i wanted you to I wanted that information to come right. from you, sure, because um, I want. People obviously to know how incredible having the care by a midwife can be. Right. But I also think it's so pertinent that they mm-hmm. understand that there's a different level of education sure. that can be attained. Right. And is not required here in the state of Utah, right. but makes for a, a safer yeah. practice, even when well, birth physiologically it, exactly. is. Exactly. I mean, the
1: other thing is if people don't have, uh, you know, here in the state of Utah, they say, "Okay, fine, you can exist and practice as a midwife without a license." Um, and then it's kind of buyer beware right mm-hmm. but the other th- important thing to know for consumers is that if, if you're practicing without a license that also means you're not supposed to carry simple medications mm-hmm. things like oxygen things like uh, pitocin which can be very simply administered to really save someone's life mm-hmm. from having a postpartum an immediate postpartum hemorrhage yes. um, so the ones who aren't licensed aren't supposed to be carrying these medications which to me is really um crazy Mm -hmm. um you know i've had experience working in many states and including on the east coast where i did know some of the amish midwives and worked with a mennonite midwife who had excellent outcomes Mm -hmm. and even they carried these medications um and of course in their population of people who they cared for we're talking, you know, maybe someone having their 11th baby where yes. risks of hemorrhage and things like that do certainly high. increase. Mm. Um, so, you know, across the board, um, midwifery has great outcomes, uh, but not always. Yeah, <laughs> And I don't mean to shed it in a bad light. Yeah.
0: I just mean to say, like, educate yeah. yourself. Yes. Know the difference. Yes. And ask those questions so that you know that the provider you are choosing to help you bring a life into the world is the one that you want there mm-hmm. if something happens.
1: Precisely. You know? Yeah. And the other thing, I saw, I mean, on some forum online, a woman saying, hey, I had my baby this afternoon and I need stitches and my midwife didn't do I the do stitches, that. didn't provide me with stitches. Maybe she didn't know how or she just didn't, that wasn't part of her practice. Yeah. Well, guess what? When you need stitches, you need stitches yeah. and you're. it's not good to like give you this fourth degree tear the next no day stitches. or you know something. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so again, there are aspects and and you know, the way midwifery practice is done around the world, this is just not something I think because this is the way I practice in my clinic. Um, I also look to the standards of like the International Confederation of Midwives mm-hmm. and you know world view of midwifery practice. And these are basic competencies um, that I feel everybody should have who is uh, a midwife because that's where we can really say, hey, this is safer care. Yes. And people in our care are indeed, you know, getting better uh, care overall. Mm -hmm.
0: So if we were to jump into being a client, say, Mm -hmm. at Wasatch Midwifery, what would be some of the things that kind of makes your practice different? Mm-hmm. I know that you have an extensive postpartum like situation that I love. I think is mm-hmm. incredible, as well as the that you like address a lot of. Um, oh, I'm forgetting the word, like hormone ba- mm-hmm. imbalances, things like that. You right. address so many different pieces of health rather than saying, okay, here's like the one size fits all. I I feel like you have a very inclusive way of attempting to understand all of these individualized health stories right um, and I feel like you know that's something that a lot of women are drawn to is kind of a personalized care right which is something I feel like you are specialized right in almost. Right, right so like what yeah. would a patient yeah you know glean from your practice if they came to see yeah. you well I think a lot of people come to us
1: you know for a lot of different reasons but overall they come because they want to be heard they they want to be a partner in collaboration and making choices for their care. Um, when, you know, I, I inc- incorporate years of my own practice of the generation of health and wellness, um, having the wellness aspect of everything that we do has been important to me. Um, of course, now we're seeing people who, and you see this for sure in the hospital, people are sicker and sicker overall. Uh, more the obesity, preeclampsia, yeah, and preeclampsia, yeah, and, and through COVID, of course, that's a yeah. whole other thing, yeah. no, but for, for <laughs> we've real, we've <laughs> seen some, you know, and people who think this isn't real, well, come talk to me, because <laughs> we've had some bizarro things that I have not seen in 20 years, but, yeah. but anyway, um, that aside, I really enjoy about midwifery that um, pregnancy also represents a time where someone is well poised to maybe make lifelong changes for their health mm-hmm. number 1 because they have to if maybe they're a smoker and they hear you know smoking is bad mm-hmm. and guess what they make a sacrifice to give up smoking or lifestyle habits that aren't the healthiest or maybe they never really knew how to cook before because they were you know A lot of people don't know how to cook. (laughs) People are growing up in the 80s and now 90s, mostly 90s, and it's microwave meals and things. And um, we talk a lot about food prepping and cooking and how do you care for yourself. Uh, 90% of the time, I just want to take someone and say, where is your mother? I want to talk to her. <laughs> uh, you know, that's just an aside now that I could be everyone's mother these days. But um, I'm like, sheesh, you got the short end of the stick. You know, what the heck? Um, so we see sort of the downfall of some remnants of our of our society whatever and how it plays out in, in public health and human health yeah. and mostly in the health of the people sitting in front of me in my clinic Mm -hmm. um so but we're very helpful. they can learn they Mm -hmm. can take up new habits for the first time they can go to a yoga class they can drink enough water they can do all these really wonderful things um so that's what we try to focus on and obviously i have 25 years of using botanical medicine and we use this really well I love it when someone comes in and they're like, "Hey, you said take lots of nettles for my allergies, and guess what? I don't have allergies anymore." You know, stuff like that, yeah. because that's going to be lifelong, um, or indigestion, or um, bacterial vaginosis, which can be really difficult to get rid of in a uh, sort of allopathic, you know, yeah. way. So we we know different ways to keep people safe and healthy, um, and as a result, people remain safe and healthy and that translates into their outcome. It also is important in our practice that people have access to our cell phone numbers and they can simply text, they can call and this uh, doesn't just mean call me if your water breaks or if your baby's not moving. This is like let me know if you are feeling anxious. Um, Let me know if you can't sleep or your bowel movements are not normal. You know, things like this. We entertain Um, and again, it's back to that piece of people come because they want to be heard. This is, we are able because we don't, we care for a lot of people, but in the grand scheme, it's, it's doable. Um, it's a luxury that I can know who my patients are. Um, and our whole staff, it's not just me. We work as a, a very large team, which brings in tons of, of, uh, years of experience and different viewpoints so we we try our best to look out for everyone and they feel welcomed when they come in Um, because ultimately they're going to be coming in that door someday and having their baby and as we know birth takes a lot of you to trust so you can be vulnerable in that moment Um, and ultimately that's what midwifery care provides
0: yes and i think that is like such a poignant point to like capitalize on and I've said this multiple times in my podcast, but in finding my own provider, I have switched doctors Mm -hmm. countless times. Right. And I just delivered my second son with the provider that I absolutely love. Like Mm -hmm. just I found the one, you know? And it was because there was a level of trust Mm -hmm. and support and understanding and encouragement that I had found nowhere else. Right. And it was like, yes, I trust you in the moment that I'm welcoming my child into the world to support me Mm -hmm. and encourage and be there with the decisions I want to make, given Mm -hmm. that everything goes as planned. You know what I mean? Right, right. And for someone to be able to build that level of trust with you, to Mm -hmm. know that, like, my midwife is there for me to the point that I have her cell phone and can call her and say, I'm having an anxiety attack. Right. And, like, talk me through it. Talk me down. You know? Right, right. But then to walk into birth, and birth is hard. Yes. Like that is like birth is beautiful, birth is incredible, it's physiological, everything about it is amazing, but it is hard. Yes. You know? And for them to be able to walk in and say, I have this relationship that I've spent if they see you from their first prenatal, nine months, if they see you from appointments before prenatal appointments. Right. Like years building Mm -hmm. this relationship with you as their provider where they can walk in and say, Okay, I have my friend here. Right. To support me through my birth. Right. And that's so powerful.
1: Right. Yes. And even better than the friend because we also can remain quite objective. Yes. And that's the important thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I experienced something interesting and, and I ended up by happenstance delivering one of my nieces. Oh, amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and let me tell you, it was difficult because I, it was my little sister. I couldn't yeah. remain my objective mind. Um I it was like my mind escaped me and I was like oh and when when her head emerged I was like oh she's so cute look at her my sister had to like bark at me and say okay
0: she's like are you gonna get the baby out (laughs) yeah
1: (laughs) I need you to be my midwife right now not my sister um so nonetheless it's it's important for us because sometimes we have to have hard conversations with people sometimes we have to be the bearer of really difficult information Um, and really happy things too. And a lot of people are like, oh my gosh, I, you know, you, you made such a positive impact. And I'm like, yeah, we, we do,
0: uh,
1: we do for everybody. And you know, that's a payoff for us.
0: Um, makes the long hours and the endless nights. Right. But, (laughs) but
1: actually what I love back to get one of your, your initial questions, what I love most about midwifery is that people don't really need me. You know, mm-hmm. they can, it's a, it's a self-actualization journey, like the, like the hero's journey. Um, and really, I don't like it when they feel like something, I mean, obviously we facilitate the space, we, yes. they come into our center, we care for them, but ultimately they have to do it and they have to do it themselves. Um, we just provide the, the environment, um, and, and that's incredible in my mind. Um, you know, we don't need to have people say, oh, you're awesome. You know, I mean, that's nice. And we get a lot of nice, you know, chocolate and <laughs> charcuterie <laughs> baskets love... and, you know, uh, Christmas playing. cards <laughs> and really heartfelt handwritten letters, which mm-hmm. we love. Um, but it's great to see people go into the world and, and have this. Uh, knowing about themselves that no one will ever take from them. So that's my favorite part.
0: Yeah, you're just empowering women to, like, unlock this piece of themselves. Right. Like, you did it. Yeah. You can do this. this yeah, incredible.
1: and partners. We just, yes. the other day, one of our, our last delivered the other day, um, this partner was not, uh, it was her fourth baby, but she had had, you know, a series of traumatic things mm. and a lot of seeds planted in her mind. That birth didn't work. Mm-hmm. She had a, had a couple um, shoulder dystocias of bigger babies. She'd had an urgent C-section mm-hmm. due to fetal distress, and everybody panicked. And I think she was even under general anesthesia. And, you know, mm-hmm. yes, those things need to exist sometimes.
0: Yes.
1: Uh, and that is sometimes the outcome of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, the way it was managed, and, and anyway, her partner was obviously from from his vantage point, he was traumatized yeah and and the other thing about our culture is there's no avenue of of dissemination of this trauma discussion. It's always like, well, your baby's alive and you're alive, and basically everybody's kind of okay, move on. It's yeah, so like two thumbs up, go to the next floor, yeah, yeah <laughs> <clears throat> and there's no. You know, it, even a second of someone saying, wow, that must have been hard for you, mm-hmm. and it wasn't your fault, and wow, yeah. I, I want to sit with you for a minute. You know, nothing like that. Um, so anyway, she, the partner was very leery of this the whole time, and through the course of her delivery with us the other day, which was not easy, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was hard for her, and she ultimately did it, and her biggest baby yet, by the way, <laughs> without a As shoulder dystocia <laughs> and without all these things, and um, it was fantastic. And now he's, like, calling everybody he knows, and he's like, oh, can you believe people go to the hospital
0: if they don't need to? Oh, my, my gosh. You know, like, best experience of my life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so it's, that's cool to see. That is really yeah. cool to see. And I feel like one of the things that midwives themselves kind of facilitate is physiological birth. Right. That's kind of a big term, but it's pretty much like trusting your body and trusting the process. Mm -hmm. And like your body is made to birth, kind of that idea. Um, And at your facility, I know that you have that beautiful birthing tub. Mm -hmm. And there's kind of like old vibes about water births. I Mm -hmm. feel like it's up and coming and people are becoming more open-minded to it. But will you walk us through kind of, like, the pros of a water birth and Mm -hmm. why someone might, you know, learn more about that to see if that's, like, an option that they would be into? Right, right.
1: Yeah. I mean, not everybody has a water birth in our center. It's, like, 60-40. But to have the option and we allow people to.
0: Yes, allow. No, that's (laughs) so so important. You know, to birth
1: in the water. For real. Um, So water birth is is interesting you know back in the day i didn't ever do a lot of water births be- mm-hmm. or we did in like people's little regular standard bathtub yes. in their home and then the advent of these birthing pools and the blow-up pools that we still use for home births which we still always do um and now we have this great tub that's mm-hmm. awesome and obviously people feel comfortable in the in the water hydrotherapy is a tremendous pain reliever often people get in the tub and they're like oh no my contractions i think they went away and i'm like no 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 you're You're just just coping your coping (laughs) is much uh you know benefited so um you know birth in the water and there has been there are robust data around the safety of water birth the baby's not aspirating the the Mm -hmm. fluid they're not breathing under the water um things like that so it's very safe, it can be done, you know, there are improvements to be made, which, um, you know, in our setting, we have a tub that also we can drain very quickly, Mm -hmm. we get people out of there, um, because also we're thinking thermoregulation, assessment of blood loss, you know, um, people get cold, and they, after the baby's born, they kind of are like, oh. I'm not very comfortable anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's how we do it. And it's a swift transition once the delivery has occurred. But to be able to feel like you can stay in whatever position you want to birth your baby, uh, birth in the water is definitely facilitates a more gentle process, mm-hmm. for sure. I mean, there's certain things. Like people wonder, oh, if you birth in the water, you might not tear. Well, sure, you might not have a laceration, but you might and that's fine too um it's not like the fix-all right things that
0: may not happen if you birth in the water but yeah Yeah. there are perks
1: and some people don't don't like it they get in the Mm -hmm. tub and they're like oh i'm hot i'm cold i don't like to uh be in the tub so we just don't have an agenda we just Mm -hmm. say here are are the options and you could be standing up in the middle of the floor and have your baby yeah we'll be there to catch it right (laughs) Right. i
0: think that's so beautiful and um And just so empowering from, like, a client's perspective to know I'm going to walk in these doors and, like, there isn't an agenda. Right. There's a, I'm going to keep you safe, we're going to get this baby here, but we're going to do it on your terms as best we can, and that will be great. And that's something that also does happen in the hospital, I will say. Like, you find the right provider, you get, you know. Right. They're doing so much, at least where I'm employed, to really facilitate a positive birthing experience, medicated or unmedicated. Right. Now. Like, I feel like there yeah. really is a movement to really help women, you know, embrace whatever kind of birth plan they hope to have and, like, really make that happen yeah. for them if you can. Right. Um,
1: and, and largely, I think it's important to remember that largely this has been
0: consumer-driven
1: Yes. over definitely the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I had my first baby, the C-section rate was much, much lower than it is now. Okay, and that was 26 years ago. Um, Doctors back then, and even midwife providers in the hospital setting, did a lot more to reduce the C-section rates. And then with, you know, inductions and now this idea of inducing everybody at 39 weeks, um, you know, that's kind of music to my ears because people... Sign up with, with my practice. Yeah. I'm You're like, like keep going, keep telling these <laughs> women them my way. You know, keep, keep saying 39 week induction. No, mm-hmm. no qualms about that. Um, but it's consumer driven, mm-hmm. and that's wonderful because yes. the only way these policies will change is by you know consumers showing, not just the providers but the administration. Uh, of hospital systems that's where we need to you know
0: which to that point it's actually very interesting the midwife in hospital practice at the hospital I work at is actually like the biggest practice Mm -hmm. in the labor and delivery unit like they see the most patients and I they actually have only been in house I think a couple years like Mm -hmm. it's it's a fairly new thing Mm -hmm. and the administration is noticing like oh wow yeah. All of the patients are ending up there. Right. And it's helping the whole just environment to evolve, mm-hmm. to facilitate the births that these mm-hmm. women and patients are hoping for. Right. And it's been such an incredible switch to be a, like, a part of, even since I birthed my own, like my first child to my second child, mm-hmm. where like, oh, I can get in the tub. Right. Oh, like I can... Just hang out and stand here and labor, right, like right, right, I have to sit there and like watch you, right. like <laughs> sit here and watch me. You know, like it's it's wild to see even yeah. just the tiny changes that have happened in two years mm-hmm. from my own personal experience. Um, and I think that truly, the more people learn and the more people see of you know the difference between like a midwife and an mm-hmm. OBGYN, right, and you know what they have to offer, mm-hmm. I think we'll continue to see this. Spike in women seeing that, right. like you know, if I don't have the need for an like an emergency surgery, and obviously, you won't know you <laughs> until mm-hmm. you're there, <laughs> right? Which is why the referral is awesome. Um, but like, the low risk mamas, they find mm-hmm. themselves drawn to these care providers that are willing to just right. empower them, right, to birth their babies, right. and largely know? that is going to be midwives across mm-hmm. settings. Mm-hmm. Um, if we
1: look again internationally, um, be, and again. Many countries in the world who lead the world in statistics, perinatal statistics, are those who have a legacy and a strong um, integration of midwives, and they always have. The UK, um, I was recently in Denmark, and I, I usually when I go somewhere, you know, Netherlands, something, I try to meet midwives and stuff. I didn't yeah. actually on this trip, but um, these sorts of countries, Scandinavian nations, you're, you can't start care with. With an O B. Mm.
0: Unless you have to be referred to. Yes, an OB. you have
1: to be referred. Wow. Um, and that's really the way in if, if we were smart in this healthcare catastrophe that we have in the US with worsening statistics. I mean we're we're no longer in the top sixty and in, in like you know, um, infant mortality and you know, these measurable points mm-hmm. that sort of tell us how good is a health system in respect to maternity care. Mm. We're off the list. It's terrible. Yeah, it's, you know, it's awful, especially if you're a person of color or, yeah. um, you know, some some sort of, um, you know, minority population. Minority population. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, this is important to me. Again, maybe someday when I'm not working 100 and, you know, how many <laughs> hours are in a breath? week? 144 <laughs> and I work about 138. Uh, someday when I'm not working that much, I want to delve more into this. But, mm-hmm. um, but anyway, you know, my hope is that, something like what they have at uh, University of Utah, where this midwifery practice is starting to be more in the forefront. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a very smart administrative move, and you're going to have people, doctors who resist this, but not really, because you know, OBGYNs, uh, they can't do it all. That's why we see the rise in hospitalists in the OB floor. Yes. Because guess what? Those hospitalists, you're going to have be- I always tell people if you're going to deliver in the hospital, go somewhere where they have hospitalists. Do not go to a private OB. They're not going to be there wiping the sweat off your brow. In fact, they probably won't even They'll
0: be, be there. there when you're ready to push the baby or out they <laughs> if they they,
1: they will try to be there and the only way they can guarantee they're there is to induce you and not even. Mm-hmm. And also what people don't understand is this is very much from a billing standpoint because if I don't catch, physically catch a baby into my hands, I cannot bill the, the kit and caboodle of what's called global maternity care code, okay? And that's a whole other aspect, too. Yeah, when the
0: nurse <laughs> catches the baby, that doctor is mad. <laughs> yeah.
1: So there's a lot of things uh, on the, uh, you know, this is a multifactorial system. It, it's not just that Dr. Smith is an asshole well, sorry, Mm. as a jerk, (laughs) uh, it's that Dr. Smith has their hands tied Mm -hmm. in so many ways. They're not a bad individual. Uh, I mean, maybe they are. Who knows? (laughs) You hope they're (laughs) not. You hope they're not. Um, I know so many uh, obstetric providers and nurses and midways in the hospital who are genuinely trying to do a good job. Uh, So that's my little soapbox that Mm -hmm. the
0: administration is the problem. Yeah, Yeah. Dan I think I think you're so right mm-hmm. <laughs> on many fronts. That's why I own my own place. I make the rules. <laughs> you're like I'm, I'm the in boss. charge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Adrienne, we've talked about a ton of things and you have literally shared so much amazing bits of knowledge with us. I think maybe just to wrap up, is there like one piece of advice you would give to a woman that is, you know, looking to find her provider mm-hmm. into the next, you know, fifteen years of her health care? whether she be, you know, just a woman, whether she be not just a woman, whether she be pregnant Mm -hmm. (laughs) or whether she be just, you know, trying to navigate what women's health is for her. What would you say to her? Right. Well, I think we've also gotten into this place
1: in healthcare where we come from a very defensive, you know, if you go in there with enough, um, you know, uh, (laughs) ovaries uh, and gusto, (laughs) to fight with them, mm-hmm. that just makes me so sad, because you shouldn't have to waste the energy um, you have, especially when you're looking for, seeking information about healing, mm-hmm. um, and so many people have to just go on their own journeys, you know, it's interesting when we talk about things like uh, hormonal imbalance and thyroid problems that are, you know, so super prevalent in women, you know, 80% of people diagnosed with thyroid condition are women. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, uh, things like that. Women go to, you know, people seeking this kind of care go to, I think the statistic is at least seven doctors uh, or providers, and maybe that journey is 10 years before they get answers. Mm-hmm. So my advice, you know, short and sweet would be, you know, find someone who you feel listens to you. Um, and hears you and sees you as a human trying to get information that you don't have to feel you have to fight. Um, because that's going to just be a waste of your energy. And if you don't find it in you know, your insurance network, mm-hmm. you also have to consider, mm, I might have to pay for something. Uh, yeah. And I always say pay now or pay later. Um, there's so many great online resources and so many people are making you know, steps in the right direction. A lot of what I start with in my practice is like food, get enough sleep, drink clean water, spend time in nature. When you've done all that for six months, then let's come and talk. Mm-hmm. And then they don't even have any more ailments at six months because yeah. they're feeling, they're like, well, oh, yeah. guess what? Uh, I'm I feeling feel way great. better. My periods are normal. Yeah. I, after I started eating more vegetables and spending time in nature and meditating, yeah. uh, all my headaches are gone. Hmm. So <laughs> we start there, and, you know, if people do something, some treatment plan that's too complicated, you don't have to do it. Um, again, if you feel listened to and you feel heard, um, it shouldn't be that difficult.
0: So um, that's my advice. <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you for being here, Adrian. Yeah. I'm so grateful for you. Yeah. Well, you guys, I hope you finished today's episode with a little more insight into what midwifery practice looks like and if it would be a right fit for you if your pregnancy has been deemed low risk. Adrian is so eloquent, intelligent, capable. She is the kind of midwife you would want to take care of you on your women's health journey. Be it before you're thinking of starting a family, during pregnancy, navigating motherhood, her expertise would totally benefit you. If you have any interest in birthing in an out-of-hospital setting, for real, check out her incredible birth center. It's Wasatch Midwifery and Wellness. Her Instagram is at Wasatch Midwife. She is changing the game for women everywhere with her inclusive, holistic approach to health. If you're not already, follow along on Instagram at undereducated.pod and catch us here next week with another episode.